Okay, well, this isn't the, the first time I've recorded a, a video sermon. Uh, I've, I've done it um, once before, but in, in slightly different circumstances. This is my first time recording a video sermon uh, in the midst of a global pandemic. Uh, slightly different circumstances. Last time, uh, it was only watched by my lecturer. It was for an assignment at Bible College, so this time I'm, I'm hoping I've got more than one viewer this time. Uh, so we're continuing our, our series through the Gospel of Luke. And we're up to chapter 5, so this is actually the first time that we see the disciples. Uh, we've had, yeah, four chapters, lots of the, the birth narratives, the Christmas story, um, and, and earlier parts of, of Jesus' life and the start of his ministry. And now, this is where it all starts for the disciples. But this passage isn't actually just about the calling of the disciples, and, and later on, eventually, there'll, there'll be twelve. Uh, but it's actually all of us. We've all been called to be disciples of Jesus. Uh, and so as we go through this passage, we're going to learn why and how Jesus calls his disciples. Uh, and then how we are to respond, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, so let's start going through our passage today. It's in uh, Luke chapter 5, starting from verse 1. It says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. So this is kind of what you'd expect to see, right? After last week's passage that, that Phil went through, uh, Jesus uh, exercised demons out, out of a man, uh, he healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law, and then he actually healed many people. So you, you, you'd kind of expect to see uh, crowds gathering around him. But, but what's really cool about this passage uh, is that they were actually gathered around him to hear him preach from the Word of God. Um, Sometimes in, in other, other passages uh, throughout the Gospels, you'll see crowds gathering just so they can be healed. But then when they hear the word of God, they, they reject it. They only wanted the miracles. They, they only wanted to be fed, like at the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, but, but here, they wanted to come and hear Jesus preach. Uh, and they did it by, by this lake, the lake of Gennesaret. Uh, so that might not sound that familiar to us, uh, but it actually is a pretty familiar lake. It's, it's actually just the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Luke calls it uh, Lake Gennesaret. Uh, John calls it Lake Tiberias. Uh, Matthew and, and, and Mark refer to it as the Sea of Galilee. So it's actually just the same, same lake. Um, so e even though that's something that uh, is pretty familiar to us, Galilee, everyone knows Galilee. It's a pretty uh, you know, well-known common, common area. But, but at the time, it wasn't really that important. It, it wasn't a big deal. No one really knew about it other than people from Galilee. It was just a bunch of backwater villages surrounding an insignificant lake in, in an even insignificant country. Israel on the world stage wasn't a big deal. It was just one of many nations that had been conquered by the Greeks and conquered by the Romans, and everyone was under these bigger, greater empires. And so that's actually the first thing that we learn in this passage about uh, Jesus calling his disciples. It's that Jesus chooses the ordinary. Not only does Jesus spend most of his ministry in this insignificant region of Galilee, uh, but he calls a bunch of fishermen. He's calling the lowest of the low. Uh, and that's something that's a bit uh, unknown to us as well. It's a bit uh, different in our, in our culture is that, that fishermen, like shepherds, were uh, the lowest of the low, you know, almost as bad as slaves. It was, it was a big uh, hierarchy in, in their cultures. It wasn't a respected trade. 
uh, especially in, in Jerusalem. Uh, those that uh, were the, the educated folks of Jerusalem would look down upon them as, as uh, uneducated. But Jesus isn't interested in calling disciples who have reason to boast in themselves. He calls the lowly, he calls the nobodies, he calls the unintelligent, and he calls sinful people. And to be blunt, that, that includes us. That's, that's us. We're, we're not going to spend all eternity praising ourselves because we were just that little bit smarter or that little bit better than those who didn't believe. And it's so easy for us to have that mentality, you know, once we've been saved, once we've been transformed by the gospel, then we tend to look down upon others as, as less than us. Just not smart enough to get the gospel. Too many bad arguments against God's existence, but, but we know better. And the reality is we are no better. God didn't choose you to be his disciple because there was something special about you. So then why did he choose us? Why did he choose a bunch of fishermen? Well, I think 1 Corinthians chapter 1 gives us the answer to that. At the end of 1 Corinthians 1, uh, this is Paul speaking. He says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble. Uh, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And then the final verse in that in that passage says, uh, that let, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. See, God is going to get all the glory. By assembling this ragtag team of, of fishermen and tax collectors and outcasts. And he's still continuing to do that today. Uh, a, a bunch of random people from York Peninsula and... and an insignificant nation of Australia in, in, a, in an historical sense. We're just a bunch of people watching an online sermon. And God's going to get glory out of saving a bunch of people like us. And Jesus ensures this. Jesus ensures that it's going to be the lowly, the despised, the outcast, the humble. Because he's the one responsible for choosing his disciples. He even directly said that in John fifteen sixteen. He says to his disciples that, that you did not choose me, but I chose you. And we see that in this passage today. So let's look back in Luke chapter 5, verse 2. It says, And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So notice that, that Peter and James and John aren't even there among the crowds wanting to hear from the Word of God. They just happened to be there washing their nets. They, they weren't seeking Jesus. They weren't planning on having their, life, uh, their lives turned upside down. But Jesus orchestrated all these events so that he could then call them to be his disciples. So how did you come to be a disciple of Jesus? So we, we all have different, 
testimonies, but I, I think in a very real sense, our testimonies are actually exactly the same. We, we, we heard the gospel and we believed and we turned from our sins and we turned to follow after Jesus. That's the same in every true testimony. Some of us have obviously had different backgrounds, Christian upbringings or non-Christian upbringings, different sins that we struggled with, different events, different ways in which we came to hear the gospel. But it's still the same in the end. Jesus saves sinners. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He was the one that orchestrated everything. Even if it was just as simple as having Christian parents so they could tell you. Jesus orchestrated those circumstances so he could call you to be his disciple. So it's because you didn't actually seek God. No, no one does. You know, Paul says that in Romans 3, that, that there is none who seeks after God. And yet I, I feel like I sort of did. I mean, I, I started reading the Word of God. I started feeling convicted of my sins. And so I, I saw my need for a Savior. Uh, the, the Gospel started making sense to me. So I, I, I put my trust in the Gospel and in, in Jesus. But why did I do those things when I didn't have the desire to do it in the past? What made me want to read the Word of God? What made me see my sin for what it really is and, and see the beauty of Christ? Well, the, the only answer is that it must have been God calling me and drawing me to Himself. Uh, Jesus said that in, in John 6 verse 44, that no man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. God through the Holy Spirit convicts people of their sins calls them to himself. And see, again, God is going to get all the glory. He's going to get all the credit because he hasn't chosen the best. He's chosen sinful people to, to lavish his love and his mercy on. And he does this by interrupting their, their lives when they're, they're actually running in the opposite direction. All, all of us weren't seeking after God. We, we weren't like the people in the crowds that were desperate to hear the word of God. We're actually like the bunch of fishermen that were busy washing our nets when we should have been listening to the Word of God. And Jesus comes and interrupts their lives to show them mercy and to call them to follow Him. And, and we see exactly how He does this in, in the next section. So let's uh, look down in, in verse 4. And when He had finished speaking, He said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. So there are plenty of times throughout the Gospels where Peter begins to sort of see more and more exactly who Jesus is. And this, this is one of those moments. This is the, the earliest and, and uh, one of the most pivotal moments for him. He, he begins by calling him Master. He recognizes that he has some authority. And, and by the end of it, after the miracle, he's calling him Lord. He's beginning to recognize who he truly is. So in verse 5, when he says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down your nets, the, the nets. 
He's not being disobedient there by pointing out the, the pointlessness of putting out the nets again. He, he's, he's pointing out that he, he's going to do something that's seemingly foolish, but because Jesus has told him to do it, he says, well, I'm going to do it anyway. That's what we need to do in following Jesus. Something that's, that's seemingly foolish to the world, to, to believe in God, to believe that he sent his son, that he died for our sins, and that he rose, someone rose again from the dead. That's seemingly foolish to believe in, but when we, when we step into that, when we step into following Jesus, when we see the truth of the gospel, it, it all makes sense. We, we recognize that it's only foolishness to a world that's perishing, not, not to us who are being saved. And that's one of the best things we could possibly do. So he does. He, he acts, steps out in obedience, Peter heads out, lets out the net, and a miracle happens. Fish everywhere, nets overflowing, more fish than, than Anderson fishing charters. Enough to nearly sink two boats. And look at Peter's response. He says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. So when we, when we begin to see the glory of Jesus, it reveals our own sinfulness. And that's why someone so perfect like Jesus can be so hated as well. It's because... Our darkness is exposed when it's next to and in contrast to Jesus' light. And so if you haven't actually believed in Jesus yet, then I'd encourage you to, to read through the Gospels. When you read through the accounts of Jesus' life, it will reveal both his greatness and your own sinfulness. But, but revealing that isn't meant to condemn you. It's actually to save you. It, it's, it's recognizing that you need saving. It's to, to bring us to the same point that, that Peter uh, is here. He was driven to cry out for mercy. And then Jesus provides. And, and this is as we continue throughout the Gospels, we will see Peter fail again and again in believing the wrong thing, in saying stupid things, and even in the end denying Jesus. But we'll also see as we go through the Gospel, Jesus perfectly accomplishing his plans exactly what he set out to do. See, Peter was actually right to recognize that he shouldn't be in the presence of Jesus. When he saw the holiness, when he saw that he was God's Messiah, God in the flesh, he realized that he, he, he shouldn't be there. He shouldn't be in the presence of God. And that's true for all of us. We shouldn't have access to God. And yet Jesus came to take away the very thing that separates us from God. And that is that darkness I was talking about, our, our sin is what separates us from God. And Jesus came to, to live that perfect life that, that we couldn't live, and then to die the death that, that we should have died. See, God should cast me out of his presence. He should punish me for, for all eternity. And instead, Jesus took that wrath of God upon himself, in my place, in your place. And then he rose again from the dead, Defeating death, proving that he was the sacrifice for sins once and for all, never to be repeated. He can save you today, and you can come into the presence of God. He will be merciful to you. And he calls you to be his disciple. See, Jesus calls a lowly people. He's the one that seeks after them, not us. And then he shows them mercy. And the next thing that we learn from this passage is that after doing all of that for us, 
he then calls us to be disciples who go and make more disciples. So when, when Jesus performs miracles, uh, you know, he, he does so because he loves people, because he cares for people when he heals them, when he frees them from, from demons and all, all, the, all these different things. But, but there are normally two primary reasons why Jesus performs miracles. Firstly, it, it reveals who he is. It, it proves that he is the Messiah. He is who he says he is because he backs it up with the miracles. But, but secondly, there's normally some specific lesson, some, something that Jesus wants to teach, uh, normally his disciples, and the miracle is related to the lesson that he's trying to teach them. So we'll see that here uh, from verse 9. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Although I, I like the phrase in, in other translations where it says, You will be fishers of men. So in the same way, this catch of fish was, it was unexpected, it was miraculous, it was in abundance. And one day Peter is going to be just like this miracle here. He's going to stand up at Pentecost and see thousands of people saved, brought to the gospel, made into disciples of Jesus. In the same way that you were fishers of fish this night, you will be fishers of men. Miraculous. And Jesus actually calls us to this very same task. See, he doesn't say, you know, see this miracle that proves who I am. You know, go and tell a couple of people. Go and find your three closest friends and tell them all about it. So there's no such thing as a disciple of Jesus who has no desire whatsoever to share this good news with others. Now, of course, our, our success may vary uh, depending on our different mission fields, the, the different type of people that we're trying to reach, whether God you know, transforms their hearts, but... But we should actually be desperate to share Jesus with everyone and incorporate discipleship into every area of our life. And we actually see that in, in the next verse, in verse 11. It says, And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So it's not just making other disciples. Uh, it's not just a calling to occasionally be involved in evangelism. It's actually our whole life. Jesus wants everything from us. Not just a portion, not just one day a week, and not just half-heartedly. He wants everything. And that doesn't mean locking yourself away in a monastery, you know, for the rest of your life. It doesn't mean becoming an ascetic who believes that all personal pleasure is to be seen as sinful. I mean, yes, it, it will involve uh, plenty of personal sacrifice. But we're actually told to take up our cross daily to follow Jesus. That There, there is a cost. It, it may cost you family or friends or, or your reputation. It, it will cost you time and money, investing time into, into other people's lives instead of just onto yourself. But for the most part, we, we don't really give up our our family or friends or our hobbies and interests. So, so what does it mean to, to give up everything to follow Jesus? Well, again, we don't necessarily ignore all of those other things in our lives, but we reorientate them so that we can use them to follow Jesus.
We take hold of the witnessing opportunities that are already around us every single day. And I think a, a great example of that here on Yorks is something that was probably already a part of, of plenty of people's lives was uh, the indoor soccer league. And then plenty of Christians saw this as a, as a great witnessing opportunity. <coughs> uh, plenty of Christians in, in our area saw that as a, as a great witnessing opportunity. Not just joining a team altogether, but going and joining a bunch of other teams with, with people in their community that they would never normally get a chance to meet. They see it as a chance to be a follower of Jesus in this specific context. Uh, to be a disciple of Jesus where there wasn't any before. And I know another example, people in this church are involved in meeting up with other retirees who are travelling around on, on camp, in campers. So leaving everything to follow Jesus doesn't mean giving up on all of those things or ignoring those people. And just the opposite. Following Jesus means using those opportunities that are already there to reach the people around you with the gospel. But how do we do that now? We're, we're in isolation, so I can't join a sports club at the moment. Uh, I can't invite people around for a movie. Uh, you know, we can't have these type of uh, groups where people have a common interest and, and meet up on the basis of that. We can't really do those things anymore, at least at least for now. So how do we go about witnessing? Well, well again, the same principle applies. We, we take the opportunities that we already have around us and we say, how can I be a follower of Jesus in this circumstance? So if you're still going to the shops to do your grocery shopping... There's your chance to share hope with, with the staff that may be losing hope in a, in a world that's falling down around them. Give them the reason why you still have hope. I mean, now is the perfect opportunity. There, there isn't really any geographical barriers anymore. It's, it's just as normal to, to call someone and video chat with someone who's living 300 k's away instead of 3 k's away. We, we have the opportunity to, to call and video chat family and friends people who are really lonely at this time and need support, offer that support, but, but, but also see it as an opportunity to, to be a fisher of men, to, uh, to reach out to those around you and share good news in a world that really, really needs it at this time. So, so let, let's be thinking about that um, just this coming week. Where are the opportunities still there? How can I be a fisher of men? How can I reach the people around me that I... I still maybe see, maybe not face to face, but I see them online. How can I be reaching out to them with the gospel? So who are the people that are still in your life, even, even now in the midst of this um, isolation that's going on? E even online, who are the people that you can be reaching with the gospel? And, and how can we be doing that as a church and individually? So let's um, yeah, be praying about that, and maybe that's something that we can be discussing uh, over, over a Zoom session. We'll... Uh, be praying for one another so that we can still be faithful in, in being a disciple-making disciple. Let, let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we thank you that you seek and save the lost, people like us, lowly sinners. Lord, I thank you that you've been so merciful to us in dying for us, in being raised from the dead, in offering mercy and bringing us into your presence. 
help for this big calling to reach people around us, to be disciple-making disciples, to, to leave our own selfish desires, to leave everything, to follow you, to do everything for you. Lord, give us strength to do that. Amen.